Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Nathan Greenberg of Arcside Marketing. He's been a marketing entrepreneur for over 20 years he started his first company while still in high school after teaching himself web design and programming. Since then, he created Arcside Marketing in 2010 to be a one-stop shop for heavily regulated industries, offering integrated media and legal consultation available to clients. Uh, we, we, he's got a long list of accolades, some of which we'll touch on. He's on the LinkedIn Marketing Advisory Panel. He's a member of the Wall Street Journal Opinion Leaders. He's a contributing blogger to Huffington Post. He is an author, a speaker, and is learning to play the bagpipes. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. It is my pleasure. Thanks for that. All right. So let's go back in time a little bit. You started teaching yourself web design in high school. Yeah, that was so that was a passion project. I started to see what the internet could do for companies. I saw how the internet was changing. And this was back at a time when really only like Fortune 500s and you know the Red Cross had a website and things on that level. Uh, but I wanted to find a way to make it affordable for really, honest to God, you know, mom and pop businesses. Um, so I started to learn the HTML language. Um, and I, I pretended I could do any sort of creative development in terms of graphic design. Uh, I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. So it really was pretend. And ultimately, it created a company, uh, like I said, that I started in high school, which was Eagle Eye Design. Uh, because I was an Eagle Scout, so I wanted to name it after sort of that that visionary idea, that ability to see things. And that was where uh, I ended up with Eagle Eye Design, and I ran that for seven years. All right. Congratulations on getting an early start. You then, uh, later on, you be after, after college, you became a top producing salesperson for Magic Broadcasting, a 17-station nationwide radio group. How do you transition to working for yourself? to going to quote unquote corporate America. And what do you think were some of the factors responsible for your awesome success there? The biggest factor for the transition was actually um, college. So I was obviously in college at that point and I, I still had the company, but I was having trouble balancing running the business and the company with really succeeding in college. My grades were going down. I wasn't putting the time and effort in. So I decided, you know what? I need to make a choice. My college degree is going to be most important. So I'm going to end Eagle Eye Design, uh, bring that to a close. All the clients were transitioned out. And I continued with my college degree. Strangely enough, in my senior year of college, I was in my fourth year at that point, I was 
what I thought was one class away from graduating, it turns out it was actually two, the university informed me later, I was sitting in a final in my Russian three class and I looked around and I suddenly said, I don't need this. I can go run a company and be successful. And there was also a job offer waiting for me. I had um, received that job offer from the radio station to go into media sales. So I literally, and some people would say foolishly, stood up from the final, closed the book, put the pencil down and walked off campus. Okay. And I went to go work in media. So uh, I'm very fortunate that I've, I've covered all three sides of the industry and, and worked on media agency and client sides of the business. Uh, but ultimately it was the, I can be a successful entrepreneur. I've got things that I can learn and they're not inside this classroom. So I left. Awesome. Well, congratulations. What were some of the factors in your becoming a top salesperson for Magic Broadcasting selling radio time? It was sort of a, a reflex answer to the disappointment of learning how media worked. And what I mean by that is the media industry certainly has its pros and cons like any other. But for me, when I got into the world of media through radio, I suddenly became aware of how all these things actually functioned. I learned what it meant for you know producing and, and for sales to happen and all of that. So for me, it became a, wait a minute, now that I know all of this, what do I do with the information? And so I got more people interested in radio advertising. A lot of my business came from new business development. That was my primary goal. Uh, that was the task I was given by management. Um, I had a really supportive management team. Uh, I got to know the owner of the company really well. And I found out that there was a lot of passion that I had for how media worked and how it functioned as an advertising mechanism. So for me, it was just everything that I've learned, instead of being disappointed now that the curtain's been pulled back, what do I do with that information? And so it really helped fuel my passion for companies to grow through marketing and reach their goals. Absolutely. And then back 10 years ago, you started Arcside Marketing. And now your target market is heavily companies in heavily regulated industries, which most marketers run away from and say, I don't want to have to deal with the compliance and the minutia and the legal and all of that stuff. What attracted you to those types of industries in the first place? My father. So I grew up in a uh, very, I still haven't figured out how to accurately describe this, but I would call it a very legal household. Uh, my dad was a global expert on debt collection. He so literally multinational companies would sue each other. My dad was the expert on the, on the planet uh, to figure out how do these things get solved globally. Um, so I grew up knowing a ton of attorneys, business specialists, management. Um, I, I really just, I was surrounded by that as a kid and part of it fascinated me, uh, but I really was interested in law and the minutia of it and all of that. My father always said that if I hadn't gone into business, I should have been a Supreme Court justice. And I was really into law. So when I first started doing this, I was picking up clients, both in radio and in the ad world uh, for the ad agency. I was picking up clients that happened to be lawyers and car dealers and hospitals and things that if they don't do it right, it's not just a false advertising claim. It's risking a license. It's risking operations. It's putting things that most businesses don't need to worry about front and center. Um, so we were able to very quickly with the team that I had assembled, we were able to put together a group of people who can not only say, this is a pretty ad, this is an effective ad. It's also a legal one. So no matter how many sales it generates, it doesn't matter if they come after you and you lose your law license, you know? So it, it really just became sort of a, how do I turn my passion into a business? And then how do I help other people do the same thing? 
That makes a lot of sense. Now, can you talk about some example? Obviously, compliance is a challenge. Yeah. What about how what about talk a little bit about successes, case studies, kind of how you've helped these companies generate more leads, more sales, more appointments, whatever that metric is in a compliant fashion that's still, you know, marketing effective? So there's a couple of, um, they were fascinating examples when they came up to us. One was a, a multi-location car dealership group. Um, they were operating in two different counties, three different cities representing, I think it was 12 different manufacturing brands. And all of a sudden the dealer principal, the, the owner of the dealer group, uh, the dealer principal gets a letter from one of the county district attorneys saying that uh, you're hereby basically put on notice that uh, all advertising for car dealerships in this county is now going to be monitored and you will be cited. It, there was no bones about it. This letter was, we're watching and we will kill you if we see it. So naturally- And I wouldn't uh, I was, have even thought that car dealerships would have landed on the regulatory list. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, and I think part legal pharma finance, I don't think in medical, I, I would not think car dealers, you know, it's 29,997, as long as they're telling the truth and they don't bait and switch you, they're okay. So what about, what were the, what was the ADA going after? So that's the fascinating thing is that for a car dealership and obviously for um, uh, certain, you know, every state is different in how they regulate California, where we are, uh, is probably the most restrictive, but in the state of California, the font size you use is regulated by law in your ads. Wow. The color of your font is regulated by law. So the dealer principal, I was their marketing director at the time. Dealer principal calls me up fury. What the F is that? Da, 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 and just, how am I getting this letter? And I said, Rel hold on, hold on, hold on. It's okay. Let me call the DA's office. Let's find out what's going on. As far as I know, you're fine. I had a couple of back channel conversations on their behalf. And we found out that they were actually using our ads as the guidepost for everyone else. Oh, wow. Well, that's just a good thing. Yeah. So we found out that they had to notify everybody, obviously, uniformly and at the same time. Right. They couldn't tell. But we right. found out that they actually told us back channel. They said, you guys are fine. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Um, we're holding you up as an example so that other people can see that you can effectively advertise and be legally compliant. So we had no legal issues whatsoever. Uh, dealer principal was very happy about that. And I've been able to translate that to every, in this you know, automotive dealership we've worked with. Um, there was another where, and this was early on in my career, but still one of my favorite stories where we were working with a very specialized hospital. For anybody who, who was watching the TV show House, that was an acute care facility for very difficult cases. Well, we had a hospital as a client that did exactly that. And the challenge with hospitals is for the most part, HIPAA compliance. Privacy regulates everything you can do. In a HIPAA compliant manner with very professional yet still somewhat edgy advertising. I mean, we have the CEO of the hospital on board with us when we did our concept calls. We were talking to them about these things. We were able to generate additional new patients for them who would have gone to lesser, I will say that in, in not a derogatory term, just less care availability they would have gone to a lesser facility had they not been aware of what was available at this hospital. I, I want to say, I think at the high point, we increased their patient load by something like 26% year over wow. year, which meant more lives saved because they had the doctor specialties that other hospitals did not. 
that's a beautiful thing. The ripple effect is one thing that our, we're touching our clients and our clients are touching people and that's the ripple effect. But it results in action when we can't actually say that marketing saves lives and be yeah. truthful. That's even better. Yeah. And for us, that's a bigger deal because when I started this company, obviously you've noticed the company is not named after me. It's not Nathan Greenberg and Associates. It's not Greenberg and Partners or whatever. Um, I've never wanted this company to be about me. I've always wanted it to be about client success. I don't care about awards. I don't care about portfolios or whatever. A couple of years ago, my team very smartly and very bluntly sat me down and said, we deserve recognition for the impact we've had. And I was like, yeah, but this isn't about us. Let's let our client do the talking, blah, blah, blah. We really, I didn't like the idea, but they were right. And for me as, as a manager and as a leader, it was right for me to look at that and say, you know what, maybe you do deserve what you're asking for. So let's apply for some awards. So we are now an award-winning ad agency, but because we've been able to do things for clients that most other industry or most other ad agencies, really, like you said, they hesitate with that. We can step forward that and say, look, here's, where we're going to translate success into this. And we know how to do it based on what we've done. Absolutely. That's an incredible methodology and, uh, and, and approach and results. What is the LinkedIn marketing advisory panel and how did you get on it? Um, courtesy of the wonderful people at LinkedIn, they sent out a, uh, an invitation. Basically we advise LinkedIn on new products for advertisers. So people that are trying to reach their LinkedIn network or grow their LinkedIn network, um, for their advertising platform, we help them shape that. We help them um, create new opportunities, develop new technologies, but we do it from really from a user and an advertiser perspective and figuring out uh, what is it that LinkedIn needs to be doing in the next you know, three, six, nine months, whatever it may be. Awesome. What is the Wall Street Journal opinion leaders and how did you get on that one? That was a wonderful invitation. Um, I would love to give credit to somebody, but I've since blanked. I've been on the panel so long, I forgot how I got there. But I did get a, an invitation saying that I've been recommended to them. Um, basically, they send out information on, I guess you can think of it as sort of a, a consumer insights, uh, but on a professional level. So they're polling us based on our industry knowledge, uh, marketing data, media data, um, it, it's a it's a collection of people that can provide specialized information and feedback. Uh, so we do that for the Wall Street Journal, and then they take that information to their partners, their internal usage, whatever it may be. With all the success you've been able to achieve, what's your biggest challenge now? <laughs> uh, I'm still learning how to be a good leader, um, and I don't think that will ever end. And that's actually one of the wonderful things that I've loved about Sharkpreneur is that you've got so many successful leaders that as I listen to the podcast, I've been able to pull tidbits that I can apply to my own business. Awesome. Uh, so I, I owe you both a thanks and a compliment uh, for putting out some good entrepreneurial success stories and some lessons to learn. Um, so biggest challenge right now is growth and management. Uh, we're sort of at a chicken and the egg point right now of huge opportunities in front of us. Where do we find the staff that's going to bring these things to reality? Um, and I think also helping our clients continue to navigate COVID at a time when they thought we'd be done. Uh, we have had tremendous success through this because we're a full service ad agency. We offer everything from PR and crisis communication to advertising and, and traditional marketing research things. Um, I, I think that most of our clients were expecting by the end of 2020 that sort of this virus thing would be done and we're not. So we're still assisting them in building long-term and short-term plans when they didn't think we'd be at this point. 
All right. Now, what do you like best about what you do? So there's two real big passions that I have. I mean, three really, but um, one of them is when I first started my company, you know, back in high school, uh, I, had, I had this very literal mom and pop client. They had been with me for about a year and they had told me during one of our calls that they needed to hire somebody and they were going to introduce me to them. And I said, what, what are you hiring somebody for? And they said, well, we found so much success uh, with the work that we've done with you that we need to grow. We're, we're going to be growing outside of our garage. That changed my mind for the rest of my life. I realized that if marketing did well, companies would grow and people would get jobs. To this day, I, I have started seven different organizations. To this day, the absolute best part of being an entrepreneur for me is giving somebody a job. Awesome. That right. gives somebody else the ability to follow their passion, do what they love, put food on their table. I, I do not get a better feeling than hiring somebody, which is one of the reasons that I've hired some of the wrong people at the wrong times. Um, I just there. loved giving jobs. So I said, great, yeah. you get one. And I shouldn't have done that. Um, so really uh, educating people about marketing, what it is, you know, everybody thinks marketing and advertising are synonymous terms. They're not. Um, people think that all marketing is the same. It's not. People think it's all expensive. It's not. I love helping people better understand what it can do and what it is so that companies can grow and allow someone to have their passion fulfilled by being employed there. That is beautiful. How do you manage your team? How do you get make sure that the right things get done for the right clients by the right people at the right time in the right way? I think to properly answer that question, I would have to bring them in one by one and have them answer on my behalf. Um, that would probably be too brutal for me. So I will just say that uh, I do the best I can to empower them. I don't want to be a micromanager. I've never wanted to be a micromanager. And I think it's about giving them the tools and the knowledge to do their job that they want to do. Um, and hopefully that's the reason I've hired them. So it really, for me, is about empowerment and how do I make sure that they can do what they're good at and not get in the way. How are you sourcing, recruiting, and onboarding team candidates now? Um, now, probably the most successful for us is social media. Uh, when we post jobs, we're thankful that we have a supportive network of people that have followed us both in the industry and then also clients. Um, so when we do a post, a lot of people are making calls to friends. Hey, this is a, you need to call them now, you know, go do that. Um, so we've got a very supportive network uh, that helps us do that. Social media is great for getting the word out. Um, in fact, we just posted a job on our Facebook page uh, through Facebook jobs. Uh, so that's been really successful. Uh, we have done other websites in the past, hiring networks and things like that. We've had mixed results. I think that's probably on us and that we should utilize it better. Uh, but for the most part, it's been just a matter of getting the word out to the right people in the right network. Talk to me about the bagpipes. <laughs> that was, so I found out early in my life because I'm adopted and I know almost nothing about my biological family, but I did find out through some digging that I do have Scottish background. And prior to that, I had always found the sound of bagpipe music interesting and very unique. And then I later found out how unique bagpipes are in the musical world. Uh, but anyways, my wife and I were talking one night and she brought me an ad for a local college that was offering bagpipe lessons. And she said, "This, go do this. I didn't know how much bagpipes cost at the time. I might've reconsidered, but uh, ultimately it ended up being a wonderful passion for me. I met one of my best friends through that class. Uh, we're still in touch today. 
And learning pipes is a long, long lesson. There's a tradition that you are not officially called a piper until you have learned for seven years. So that's why uh, in bios, I have to specify that I am learning the bagpipes. I am not a bagpiper yet. Okay, fair enough. I did not know that. Um, what else do you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Uh, I think, you know, I, I talked about the fact that marketing education is a big deal for me. I came up with a concept that has a, that I'm now applying to other parts of my life, um, but it's called the two, rule, two rules of marketing. And it's a very simple distillation of everything in the marketing industry that I've learned over the last 20 plus years, all three sides of the business. And it's two basic factors. The first one, marketing should always be treated as an investment. And what I mean by that is I am tired of hearing people say, I'm going to try it, or it's an experiment, or something where basically you would never treat a 401k that way. So why are you treating your marketing dollars that way? So marketing should always be treated as an investment that requires that you have goals aligned prior to doing the marketing. You have to know where you want to go so that you can measure the ROI on that marketing. So rule number one, marketing should always be an investment. And rule number two, never make it hard for someone to give you their money. Every business in existence today, I don't care, nonprofit, for-profit, Fortune 500, mom and pop, it doesn't matter. You exist because you have something to offer somebody else. That person or someone like them is willing to pay for it. Do not put a roadblock in their way to pay you. Awesome. the, the, The biggest part of that is that every part of a business is a marketing division. So I don't care how successful Amazon is with their brand recognition. I don't care what amazing products they have. If the guys on the loading dock can't ship stuff on time, Amazon's out of business. So guess what? Your logistics department just became your marketing department and your marketing problem. Everything is involving marketing at some point or another. So never make it hard for someone to give you their money. And that impacts every aspect of your company. Awesome. Great advice. Fascinating interview. Great story. This has been Seth Green with Nathan Greenberg from Arcside Marketing, arcside.com. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. Seth, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level, but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.